Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. This week, um, well, actually, one more thing. I want to point out, Mr. James, last week you asked us a question, and it had to do with the role of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace. You remember that? He asked, what, what role does the Holy Spirit play in the means of grace? We are moving on from talking about the means of grace this morning, but we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Mr. James's question was a good one. Um, and we're going to discuss the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. So uh, we're going to be talking about the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the means of grace is the delivery system that God has instituted to help us. And these graces come from the Father. They're purchased through the Son, by the Son, and they're given to us through the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who makes God's graces in our lives effectual, means something. He's working within us. All right, so that, I wanted to circle back to Mr. James's question because we're going to spend today talking about the Holy Spirit, focusing mainly on uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And if you can't hear me, just yell at me like my dad does in the back. I know it's a little loud. So, um, Jordan, would you stand and open us in prayer? Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for for leading us. Um, There is going to be a whole module that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's coming up. I believe Dave Folk is the one teaching it. And in that module, you're going to learn about the role of the Holy Spirit in something that is in Latin called the Ordo Salutis, the Order of Salvation. And the Order of Salvation encompasses... A number of things you may have heard before, such as effectual calling, adoption, um, salvation, justification, glorification. Have, have you heard these words before? Okay. So the Holy Spirit is at work throughout all of those things. There's going to be a whole module on it. And so this is um, not a complete thought about the Holy Spirit, but I'm highlighting certain things. Um, <clears throat> I want to lay a, just a, a bit of a, of a foundation for who the Holy Spirit is before we jump into a discussion of uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. All right? You with me? You're going to learn more later, but for right now, I just want to say a couple basic things. The Holy Spirit is God. And I know that you may not need to be convinced of that. Um, But there are those that don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. They believe he's, you know, a part of Christ or he, he is a part of who God is, but he is not God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is made up of three persons and one essence. There is only one God, right? 
But it is made up, he is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to point out to you that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira come to the temple, they lie about their offering. And this is what it says. Uh, Ananias is rebuked with these words. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit. And to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, didn't, didn't, wasn't it yours? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. Right? So remember that story. Very clearly, very clearly, the Holy Spirit is God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. Um, so the Holy Spirit is God. He's also a person. In other words, he is a him. Not an it. He's not some sort of impersonal force. Okay? Um, there's a number of passages we could look at, but for the sake of time, I, I didn't give them to you in your handout. Look at there. But if you want to look, read about it, John 14, 17, John 14, 26, John 16, 4, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Just a few verses that talk about the Holy Spirit as he. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit referred to, is referred to as a he. Um, he's a person, not some impersonal force. And of course, he's equal in power and glory with God. All right? Just a few basic things about the Holy Spirit. You'll learn more in another class. This morning now, uh, we're going to focus on what the Holy Spirit does in our lives specifically with an eye to the church and how the Holy Spirit works within each one of us for the purpose of edifying and unifying us in his church. And we may address some common misconceptions about the work of the Spirit. just depends on time. What does the Spirit do in the life of a believer? What does the Spirit do for you and... What does he do in you? I'm looking for some feedback here. Okay, convicts. Well, he helps us bear fruit. He helps us bear fruit. Certainly the fruit of. Okay, great. So conviction, he helps us bear fruit. What else? Unity. Unity. Okay, that's a big one. That's a big one, especially in terms of corporately, like we are baptized by one spirit into his body, right? We're going to talk about that later. Intercedes. What do you mean by that? Like in prayer. Okay. That's right. Okay, so the spirit is, is praying for us. Um, yes. Uh, after Dr. Forney, one of our elders, got into an accident uh, earlier, uh, last, this year, beginning of this year, I don't, I don't quite remember when it was, last year. He, he you know, and, 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 and through the accident, they discovered the tumor on his brain. Um, when we met with him, and the first thing he wanted to say was uh, he wanted to give thanks to God for, and I'll remember he said this, the Holy Spirit was praying for me. The Holy Spirit was praying, and I was not. 
right? So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us. Jesus is our mediator, but there's the Christ. You can't parse the Holy Spirit in Christ either. Um, we are told that Jesus mediates for us, but the Holy Spirit is mediating, right? Okay, Drew? Yeah, he helps us understand God's word. Okay, he, hel- he helps us understand God's word. A lot of really great things. Um, we've mentioned, yeah, most of them. Um, in short, I think we could say that the Holy Spirit does many things for us. This list, we could go on and on with categorical ways, but we could also go down deep into the nitty-gritty within those categories of specific ways in which the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. Um, At the end of Hebrews, the author says this, Now the God of peace, who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal eternal covenant, even Christ Jesus, O Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. May he equip you in every good thing, working in you through Christ to him be glory forever. So may he equip you to do his will. God has a will for your life. Andrew, Katie, Stella. He has a will for my life, specifically. And he has a will for our lives corporately. He has work for you to do. And this should remind us of a passage from Ephesians. His will and the work he's given for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10. Classic verse, for by grace you've been saved, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, the things you've done, so that you can't boast. But then, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. How many of you have heard that verse before? The verse that says, God has called you, he saved you, not by anything that you've done, and guess what? You aren't just called to sit on your rear and do nothing. He's called you to be his workmanship. He's called you to do something for him. And that something that he's called you to do has been planned for a very long time. How do we do it? Well, we've been equipped to do his will. How have we been equipped? How have we been equipped? The Holy Spirit. That's what I want to get to. The Holy Spirit. Jesus before he goes to the cross, speaks with his disciples, and he says this, I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things, I've said I have to go, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go. For if I don't go, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And did Jesus go? He went. And... He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has sent the Helper, the Spirit, to us. Helping us to live out the will that God has for our lives. Both the very individual, specific will for your life and the will for us as as one body in Christ. as As a local church, as a global church. All right, you guys with me? Stella, does this make sense? Kind of. Hmm. 
Okay, I want to make sense to everyone. God has a will for your life. Can you achieve it on your own? Do you have to work at it? You do have to work at it, right? He doesn't do it for you. You have responsibility, right? You have to obey. You have to do what's right. You, have the, you feel the pull between right and wrong. But he hasn't left you alone, has he? Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But Jesus isn't right here with us, is he? Well, two or three again. <laughs> you know, you can't see him or touch him. Or you can't see the holes in his hands like the disciples did when he was there in the room. So how is he with you? He has given you the Holy Spirit, right? That's his spirit. He has given that to you to help you, all right? Is that clear? Okay. <clears throat> I just said that Jesus isn't here with us in, in the way that he was with his disciples in the upper room when they were locked away hiding. Um, Jesus' atoning work, his death and resurrection on the cross happened a couple thousand years ago. And it happened once along a historical continu- continuum, a timeline, right? We heard about transubstantiation, uh, seems like recently. I think Gary Knapp taught on that, touched on that when he spoke a few weeks ago. And he, he spoke about how the Catholic Church, week after week, mass after mass, re-crucifies Christ. That's what they claim, right, for our sins. We say no. It only had to happen once, right? And it happened on Calvary, on the cross, one death, one sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future, okay? You, you with me? So, so the atoning, atoning work of Christ happened in the past, and it, it was complete. It wasn't lacking anything. Yet, the work of the Spirit, which is what I was talking with Stella about, the work of His Spirit continues on and on and on and on and on and on, day after day after day. And it is not separate from the work of Christ. That's what I'm, they, they work together. Remember that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Christ is in Him and He is in Christ. As we said earlier, the three people of the Trinity are equal in power and glory. Everything that any person of the Trinity does, He is doing alongside the other two. So it isn't just God making the heavens and the earth, right? We learn later in the New Testament that Jesus is the one who created the world, right? Did, did we read about that in Hebrews too? Yeah, just recently. But, but also, the breath of God was upon the waters, right? And I'm not going to go into the Spirit, but the, they're all at work. Okay, yes, so AJ? But also in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our Perfect, okay? Um, all right. So... He does many things in our lives. Many, many, many things. I want to talk about, as you see on your outline, receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I want to talk about fruit and gifts of the Spirit. Now, having talked in a general sense about the work of the Spirit in the life of the Christian, we should talk about receiving and being filled. Okay. Um, How does someone receive the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian child, if you're born into a Christian home, 
Well, this is a tricky question. Are you born with the Holy Spirit in you? Who said no? Okay. Um, is it like the membership down at Turtle Wax where a monthly subscription, you can either go for one, option one, option two, or you get all three, including the underbody wash? Is it like that, where you can get the Father and then Christ and then you, you, know, you pay a little extra for the Holy Spirit? That's absurd. And I don't think any of us think that, but Simon Magus thought he could buy the Holy Spirit, didn't he? You remember that? May your silver perish with you. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? How do we receive it? Well, I want to read to us um, from the book of John. Jesus promised when he, when he goes, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to us. In other passages, we learn that the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, who, who makes us born again. He's the one that gives us new birth. Remember that Jesus was talking um, with Nicodemus. And we're told that he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's this being born again of water and spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. Again, that idea of breath, wind. Uh, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so simply put, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? How does anyone receive it? Well, we receive the Holy Spirit when we are born again, when he regenerates us. This is, the passage, uh, this is what the passage is saying when it talks about being born of the Spirit. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit is given to us and he lives inside of us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? The temple of the Holy Spirit, actually, who is within you. So this initial regeneration, this being born again, is sometimes called baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That, that passage is in the notes. And it says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or those that are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Which goes back to what I, somebody said, it, Judy, about, no, well, somebody I think over here said it, Micah, about the unity. He unites us in one body. This is, a, this is a, a pivotal verse in that idea. We are baptized not into our own body, and we have hundreds of thousands of little Christian bodies going all over. The, no, we were baptized into one body, and that body is the bride of Christ, the church. Not just this church, the church. And Jesus died for the church. He didn't, yeah, he died for all of us individually. And we must all come to Christ individually. You don't get to Christ by going to church. But he didn't just die for me. He died for the church, all right? Are you tracking with these themes and these ideas? Audrey? Am I clear? Yes, you're clear. I am curious, though, about 
Well, I think that um, clearly they don't have the Holy Spirit in the same way. They have to, wh what we say when we baptize children is that, that we are bringing them into the visible church by the faith of their parents, right? And so do I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in all of my children? I believe he is. But is, he, is there a difference between my children who are growing up hearing the word, being taught the word, being taught to embrace Christ, and somebody who actually is born again, who, who is regenerate? There is. Now, where are all those things parsed? I, I, I've never really thought about that before I started talking about it. So I, it was like the Grand Canyon. I went up to the ledge and, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I don't actually, Dad, do you have any thoughts about this beyond, you know, okay, you have no thoughts. So everything I say is 100% correct. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Jesus says there's not one that eats and gives his fallen away. Yeah, that's true. And we see that people who grow up in church or go to the Christian homes can fall away. It's true. And so if, if one is true, then the opposite of the other cannot be true. That's true. And the Holy Spirit, we're not going to get into this, but one other thing I'll throw in for you to chew on is and the Holy Spirit came on to many people throughout the Bible that ended up not, uh, seemingly weren't saved. Those instances are different, you know, the Holy, that's different than the Holy Spirit being given to the apostles when Jesus comes back and is resurrected. In the room, remember, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon them. It's not the same as when the Spirit came upon somebody in a moment, perhaps, like Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson and he did something great and then it seems to have left. You understand what I'm saying? Um, I, I, the Holy Spirit is at work in our children's lives, but there is a difference and describing and parsing that difference, I don't feel prepared to do right now. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, we, uh, the spirit being given to us is, is again, sometimes, yes. At Pentecost. At Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, I know, if you want to throw out another verse, it's the, those that have tasted of the heavenly things and then fallen away. You know, like, the Holy Spirit has to be at work allowing you to feel anything. You know, I, I, that might not be helpful, but I was, it's another verse that came to my mind when, when Audrey asked the question. So, let's, uh, thanks, Dad. As we move along, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is, comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 13. For all in one spirit were baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so you see that the baptism of the spirit includes all believers. Uh, in fact, the baptism of the spirit is what makes us into one body. Without that baptism, we're not part of the body of Christ. And it's talking about the baptism of the spirit. I would clarify, not just being baptized into the church there. So, everyone in the body has been baptized in the Spirit. Everyone in the body of Christ has been baptized and brought in by the Spirit. Now, I want to say this at this point. 
again, I don't think that people are here, but you'll hear this in your life, and so you need to have a, a thought on it. Some people think that the baptism of the Spirit is an experience that comes after conversion. Probably rooted in what my dad just said when he said that there were, you know, the Spirit came upon the disciples in the upper room, but that the Spirit also came on to the, the, the apostles and the disciples uh, in Acts. All right? Have any of you heard that? Okay. Um, is, is commonly tied to a term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, they say that those who have the baptism of the Spirit, it's often, often tied to actually uh, the speaking in tongues, right? So they say those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, look at the, look at the church in Acts, look what happened there at Pentecost. They all spoke in tongues, and they perform extraordinary gifts. They are given, and so, that, you know, you have the first coming in, but then you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, this is important. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that's why I put it on the outline, and other texts show that this is not so. Everyone who is converted, everyone who is a Christian, is baptized in the Spirit. And, go along with that, here's a very important idea. There are not two groups in the church. What did we just say was one of the main things the Holy Spirit does? Unifies the church, right? And so, there are two groups in the church, ones that have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and ones that have, you know, not attained to that and are still just struggling along, waiting for the day when that might happen. If this were true, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be a basis for disunity and separation. And that is exactly the opposite of what's being taught by Paul in 1 Corinthians. It is about the unity. It is about one body, one spirit, right? You guys tracking with me? Okay. Um, so if we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's not something we earn or buy. We do so once. He's not flighty. He's not a fair-weather friend, right? Just as no one who is given to Christ falls away from Christ, if the Holy Spirit, if you've been baptized into him and he is in you, he doesn't decide on a bad day, maybe at your worst day, eh, I'm out of here. It's not like a crummy vacation where you go and the weather's not good, so you decide to pack up and leave early. It's not the Holy Spirit. Okay. Being filled. So we've talked about receiving now I want to talk about being filled. And these two things may sound synonymous in your minds, and they are tied, but I don't believe that they are the same. And that's predicated on what I just said. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit, and the Scripture does not teach that the Holy Spirit leaves you when you have a fight with your wife and you look real ugly and you've sinned bad. He doesn't leave you. But then we have talk of being filled in the Scripture. And oppositely, not being filled. And so what does that mean? So this is why I say that we receive the Holy Spirit. You have either received him or you have not. But then there's this idea of being filled. And I encourage us this morning that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be men and women, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, using hard, hard working hard with the gifts he's given you. Okay? Ephesians 5.18 says something very interesting. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, 
which is debauchery. But, but, contrasting statement, be filled with the Spirit. Paul said, don't be filled with wine. Don't fill your bellies with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled, rather, with the Spirit. This is a very striking verse, if you think about it. The way in which we conduct ourselves, the way in which we act, live, the decisions we make, has a reciprocal relationship with the Holy Spirit filling our lives. Have you ever thought about that? Paul's saying, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. He's, he's saying, if you're the kind of guy who goes and drinks and gets drunk, and that's your life, how much of this Spirit should you expect? None, right? You're not going to be filled living that way. Oppositely, we decide not to fill ourselves with certain things and rather to be filled with the Spirit. Okay. Now, it would be easier to think that since the Spirit is sovereign, the Spirit is God, we can only wait passively for Him to decide whether or not to fill us. But according to this verse, our decisions have something to do with His filling. Evidently, our behavior has some bearing on the degree and the frequency with which we're filled by the Spirit. In the context of Ephesians, okay, if you're drunk, you're not going to be filled. Uh, Conversely, I would also say that those who fill their hearts with Scripture and with prayer and who fill their time and their hands with deeds of service and mercy and love and compassion would be expect, are calling out for God to, to fill them. Now, I'm not saying we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. It says be filled, right? God fills us. But the way in which we act, here's what I'm trying to say, this idea, the way in which we live, the decisions we make, have some bearing on whether God fills us with His Spirit or not. We'd like to just say, well, God hasn't filled me with His Spirit, therefore I feel like getting drunk this weekend. We, that's, that is utter foolishness, and it's a disgrace, and it's an offense to God. Because, yeah, God is sovereign, but He calls us to act in certain ways. We're not going to blame him for our sins because, well, I, you know, I really, I know I should treat my wife this way. I know that I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this with this person, but I haven't been given enough spirit, so I guess it's his fault. We're doing what Adam did. We're doing what has happened throughout all of time, and we're pointing back at God and saying, well, why did you, why'd you make me this way? Why, why'd you give her to me? And it's wicked, and we'll be held accountable for it. We are responsible. Okay, keep moving. We've got 12 minutes. Um, <clears throat> is, this, is this clear? Am I? Okay. Um, let's move on to the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about receiving. We've talked about being filled. Now I want to briefly talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and then I want to have some applications for us. Um, the fruit of the Spirit. How can you tell whether somebody has the Holy Spirit filling them? Easy question, folks. Jump on the gravy train. Boop, boop. Landon, how do you think you can tell if somebody has the Holy Spirit?
Okay, being courageous, having strength, right? Not being ashamed of the gospel. Okay, that's true, yes? Glorifying God. God. And what does a life that's glorifying to God look like? Discerning good from evil. Um, And what did you say? Okay, bearing fruit, right? It's all these things that you've mentioned. But I would say one of the most obvious, if somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Uh, We don't know with certainty. We aren't God. We can't determine who is a Christian and who's not. And though we're called to make determinations, especially in our children, and we have to make determinations and, and act on those judgments, we are not Almighty God who makes the determination, right? But Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit to the disciples. Like, being a Christian isn't something you're totally in the dark on. Like, chameleon, like, what card are you holding, everyone? You know, uh, are, you one, are you, one of, you know, one of those games where you have to lie and you don't know who anybody is? Right? There are tells. There are, there are ways in which we should be able to tell if we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, if we know the Holy Spirit. And that's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Let's see if I wrote that down. Yeah, okay. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. These fruits should and will be present in all of us as believers. And yet, Paul just has said, here's the fruit of the Spirit. But then he goes on to say, live by the Spirit. So he says, here is the fruit of the Spirit. He starts by saying, don't act in these ways. Don't be filled with drunkenness. Don't be divisive. Don't love yourself. Then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, I'm sorry, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been reborn by the Spirit, in other words, right? If you've been born again, let us also walk by the Spirit. So living by the Spirit, if you've been regenerated, you have life. Live, if we live by the Spirit, let us, let us walk according to the Spirit. Right? Be loving. Be kindful. Be patient. Kindful. Be kind. Be patient. Um, going back to the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we all want to be filled in greater measure. We all pray for His guidance and direction in our lives. But if we aren't living in accordance with him, with his fruit, we aren't going to be filled in the way that we might have been. Remember, don't fill your stomach with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is pleased to give us his spirit. He is happy. God isn't stingy with the Holy Spirit. You know, he doesn't look at all of us. We're vessels. He doesn't, you know, my kids, you know, it's, it's apple cider season, right? And we don't buy apple cider a lot because it's expensive, you know. But you better believe when we do buy apple cider, it's like baby birds. More, 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 more. And I, as El Padre Oso at the head of the table, or Leah, get that cider jug and it's like, dip, dip. He's bigger. Give him a little more. <laughs> I want some more too. Go, 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 go. <laughs> God isn't like that. 
All right? We're talking about being filled. He's happy to fill you. All right? Do you want to be filled? Are you living in a way that says, I want to be filled? The God's not going to be stingy. Oh, well, I've been, I've been holding my cup. You know, and I just, I just keep, it's like poor little uh, Noah, <laughs> Morris apple cider, <laughs> half an inch in the bottom of the cup, you know? God's not like that with us. He wants to fill us, all right? So remember that the scripture says that the Lord is seeking a man whose heart is fully devoted to him so that he might strongly support him. How do you think he's going to strongly support you? You're right, through the Holy Spirit. He's looking for the man who's fully devoted, who wants to be filled. Okay, six minutes. Um, conveniently, I'm not going to have to talk about any of the extraordinary gifts. Ha! <laughs> All right. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives gifts to us. Now, there are passages throughout the Old and the New Testament that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The ones that come to our minds, probably, when, we, when you hear gifts of the Spirit, you know, you might think about elders and deacons and prophets and teachers, and, you know, your mind might go there. I think often we go to, obviously, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which talks about the gifts of the Spirit. When we hear people talk about gifts of the Spirit, it's often in, in, in relation to the extraordinary gifts. Um, and I am happy to talk with you about those, even if we don't have time today. Um, I want to read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, one Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in, in all persons. But to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You've been given the Spirit for the common good, not to serve yourself, to serve other people, to serve the church, going back to the idea of unity. The Spirit has been given to unify us. What is the idea of common good telegraph? Unity, right? We're all working together, like the early church who had all things in common. And there were no needs because they were all in for the common good. And I'm not talking about some, you know, nice idea of secular common good, sharing, co-op, whatever. I'm talking about love for the bride of Christ and laying your life down for her as Jesus did. Okay? Because you love her more than you love yourself. Does that make sense? To one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. Another... Uh, the word of knowledge to another, of faith to another, gifts of healing to another, miracles, prophecy to another, distinguishing spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretations. But one and the same spirit work all these things. Now, we, we probably think of that as like the go-to passage for the gifts, but there, the Bible talks a lot about gifts, and not just here. I won't deny that it, that's there, and it, that means something very important for us. But Romans says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Well, what's he say? If prophecy in a proportion with our faith, okay. If service, well, that one's a new one. That one seems, is service really a gift? Nah. Yeah. He who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives, do some people have the opportunity to give more than others? Yes. The widow did. 
right? <laughs> See what I'm doing there. I'm saying it's not just monetary. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy. Hmm. Okay, now going, rewinding back to the Old Testament. I want, here's another passage for our consideration. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of her, the son of Uri, the son of her, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with my spirit, the spirit of God, in wisdom in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship for the building of the tabernacle. Which is interesting. One of the things, I've, I've been saying it over and over again, well, the Spirit has given gifts to us for the common good, for the building up of the church, right? Even in the Old Testament, this guy, Bezalel, was given gifts to build up, literally, the temple, the, ch- the church building. We've been given gifts to build Christ's body, his bride, which is the church, okay? Um, one of the interesting things that is that through, uh, throughout 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, um, as well as Galatians 5, Paul warns us, and I'll, I'll, we'll end with this because it's two minutes tell. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 would all be go-to passages thinking about the gifts of the Spirit. 12, I read a passage from it. It talks about, um, you know, many extraordinary gifts. It then goes on to talk about the gifts of teaching, the gifts given to, you know, elders and teachers. And and then you have 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter on love. It says, if I can do all things, if if I've got the greatest gifts, if I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing, right? And then in 14... um, now, I'm blanking, and I don't have time to look it up. So, um, what is 14? Seek the greater gifts. Seek, seek the greater gifts. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, in all three of those chapters, and in Galatians, it makes a warning to us. It warns us, at, even as it's encouraging us to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you, so that you can build up the church and edify the church. It gives us a warning away from envy and jealousy and pushes us to, to love. Right? I th- actually, that's, that was my, my thought. Actually, it's interesting that love, after talking about gifts, which are different and various, that he calls us to love. He calls us away from jealousy. Um, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. This is Galatians 5. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Right after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going back to that verse. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Um, We'll close with a story. Um, A few days ago, we celebrated Micaiah's birthday. And Micaiah got... We like to give good gifts to our children. Um, Micaiah wanted some fancy pants Lego set, and so we decided, ah, you know, he's doing well. We want to encourage it. We, okay, we'll buy the Lego set. Well, I also decided I wanted to get Micaiah a machete because I want to cut down lots of stuff in my yard, and he wants a machete. So, Mr. James has a whole new set of questions for me now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, 
it was a great birthday celebration, but Nate, by the end, we had to talk with him multiple times throughout the night. He was so irritated. We're giving good gifts to Micaiah. It's not his birthday. His birthday's coming up. He's trying to hold back, crying, and, and being angry that Micaiah got these good gifts. And we, I can sympathize with him. It's not right. I can sympathize with him because we do the same thing. We look at other people who have different gifts that are different from ours, and we, in pride, say, well, those are more important. Woe is me. God hasn't given me what I... And Paul is warning us against that. Remember, the Spirit was given. The gifts of the Spirit were given. Even the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit were given only for the purpose of unity and building up the church. Do you understand that? That's why Paul goes on later to say, listen, I don't want to talk in tongue and worship. It doesn't edify anybody. Right? So if you're not doing that, if you're not using your gifts to serve, there's a problem. And you're, and you're giving up opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? To manifest all those fruits as we go about using the gifts. I think the fruits and the gifts go together. Remember, Paul warns us against, the Bible warns us against being envious of one another. I could look around this room and point to all of, us, all of you, and I could have one thing in my mind that I'm, I could be jealous of. Josh, I wish I could read as quickly as you. Ross, I wish I knew as much as you do about music. Julie, I wish I was as creative as you at ideas for a podcast. Right? I could go around, I wish I could bake cakes as well as you can because every time my wife has a birthday, it takes me a long time and much stress to figure out what I'm going to bake, right? There's things that I could be jealous of. Man, your size, your good looks, your dashing good looks, you know? Look at that hair. No, but really, Jonathan, I wish I could get the password so I could do what I want on our IP address here at the church. No, but, but seriously, resist being jealous. The fruit of the Spirit work with the gifts of the Spirit. All those things have been given to us for the mutual upbuilding of the church. It's not about you, it's about the church. All right, and so we need to live this way. I hope this was helpful. Um, Stella, would you stand and close us in prayer? Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoyed this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.